Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight on The Readout. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. Thank you, everybody, for your support. Um, And today is just a happy day for me and my family. So um, I'm going to smile right now. (laughs) Um, Thank you. WNBA star Brittany Griner is on her way home after a prisoner swap with the Russians. How the deal came together and what's next for those Americans still held prisoner in Russia. Plus, breaking news late today in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case, the DOJ is reportedly asking a judge to hold the Trump team in contempt. Also tonight, a historic day for America as landmark legislation protecting same-sex and interracial marriage is approved and sent to President Biden for his signature. And the Supreme Court is leaking, but don't call Mario or Luigi. These leaks are seen as part of the orchestrated effort to influence the court as Democrats push for ethics reforms on the court. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jason Johnson in for Joy Reid. And we begin tonight with the release of Brittany Griner, the WNBA star who had been detained in Russia for 10 months, is coming home after the Biden administration negotiated her release from a Russian penal colony and a one-for-one swap for Russian arms dealer Victor Bout. This is video released by Russia State TV, showing Griner leaving her place of detention. And after all this time, we finally got to hear Griner when she was told she was going home. What's your mood? Happy. <laughs> well, are you ready for a flight? Uh, yes. Do you know where I'm heading to? No. No? No. no. You fly back home to, to the U.S. To the U.S. Okay. Everything will be fine. Griner was detained by Russia in February and sentenced to nine years in prison for having vape cartridges with cannabis oil. She arrived in Abu Dhabi today via private plane from Moscow following her release from Russian authorities. President Biden announced her release today alongside Griner's wife, Sherelle Griner. Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and uh, and she should have been there all along. Today, I'm just standing here um, overwhelmed with emotions, but the most important emotion that I have right now is just sincere gratitude um, for President Biden and his entire administration. Among the flurry of reactions over Griner's release, we heard from WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert, who said BG has shown extraordinary courage and dignity in the face of enormous adversity. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver thanked those who raised awareness of Britney's unjust circumstances. And the Phoenix Mercury and Suns released a joint statement that partially read, quote, we no longer have to bring BG home. She's on her way. And then, of course, you had those who woke up this morning thinking they were experts in high stakes negotiations. People who, mind you, have zero experience whatsoever in brokering the release of international hostages in rogue nations, much less in Russia, a country that is currently invading another country. Must we remind folks that this is Vladimir Putin that we're dealing with? And yet, the armchair negotiators took to Twitter, taking aim at President Biden for swapping Griner for an arms dealer. But 
Also, because absent from the swap was another American, Paul Whelan, a former Marine who has been jailed in Russia since December 2018 on charges of espionage, which he and the U.S. government have denied. Senator Marsha Blackburn tweeted, quote, Biden left a Marine stranded behind enemy lines. Never mind, Whelan was first detained while Trump was president. Which brings us to that former president who today called the swap a, quote, stupid and unpatriotic embarrassment for the USA. Ah, yes, attacking Biden for not doing something that Trump himself failed to do. Sounds about on brand. Then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene with her bizarre but predictable take, saying the release was, quote, another reason to impeach Joe Biden. I, I don't understand these people, and yet I do. It goes to show how cynical and toxic our politics can be when the release of an American from a penal colony in Russia is not like a celebrated unifying moment, but rather an opportunity for cheap shots and bad faith attacks from Republicans on Twitter. Instead, today's lesson in grace came from one of the people who feels Whelan's absence the most, his twin brother, David Whelan. I think President Biden made the right decision. Uh, his job is to protect all Americans and to care about all Americans. Uh, and it would have been wrong for him to leave behind an American when he had the ability to bring them home. And so I appreciate that he may have even waited. He may have even delayed in, the, in a hope that Paul might have been able to come home. Um, but it was it was absolutely the right decision to, to bring Ms. Greiner home. And uh, I'm so glad that he did. I'm, I'm super excited that she's free and able to spend the time with her family. Joining me now is Terry Jackson, executive director of the Women's National Basketball Players Association. I, I just have to start, Terry. How do you feel? How do you feel today when you woke up and saw this news? Oh, we're, we're having trouble with sound, guys. I feel today. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. I feel today very different from what I felt yesterday. But I got to tell you, each day I have held out hope. Each day I would wake up saying BG's coming home today. And when that didn't happen at night, I would say, OK, it's going to be tomorrow. Yesterday, I heard some news that had me anxiously anticipating today. Um, and I woke up and I my heart has just been filled with joy. Lots of relief, as you can imagine. I have cried. I have laughed. I have smiled. I have I just everything. It's just a roller coaster of mostly good emotions. And yet also we recognize that Paul Whalen's family, David Whalen, who I had the opportunity to speak with a few months ago, um, a really emotional, heartfelt conversation for the two of us supporting each other and just recognizing that we are now connected. So it has been the highs and lows of that. But I would not be honest if I wasn't saying that my heart is overjoyed um, for BG, for Sherelle, for her family, and for the 144. That's what we call the members of our union. I got to say, Terry, if you look at this sort of at the arc of the last couple of years, WNBA players uh, got rid of a Republican senator in Georgia, uh, fought for Black Lives Matter, have now organized and helped bring home a player what what are the conversations like amongst amongst WNBA players? They, are, are they obviously they're overjoyed, but are they sort of empowered thinking, wow, we are we are athletes and we've also been able to affect international change? What are the conversations happening amongst players right now? 
since 2016, when they stood up unified for Black Lives Matter in 2017 against racial hate in Charlottesville for for years on on issues surrounding voting rights, reproductive rights, LGBTQ rights, um, our members understand the power of their voice, particularly the power of the collective. They understand what it means to be a part of a union. And we, as the Players Association staff, are right there supporting them on the court and off the court with their advocacy. They are amazing. As you can imagine, it is a privilege to have the job that I have. It is I'm a lawyer and yet I get to do this. No lawyer gets to to report to the players that I get to report to. What they do is is nothing less than amazing. Um, Flipping a Senate seat um, and now here. Um, being able to rally and mobilize human rights activists, civil rights activists, the Win with Black Women Network, so many, the AFL-CIO, so every sports players association stood with us because our members rallied them around the We Are BG campaign. And I'm just I'm just so grateful to get to do what I get to do. Terry Jackson, thank you so much for joining us this evening, and congratulations to you and all the players in the WNBA. I'm really excited for you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Let's bring in Julia Yaffe, founding partner and Washington correspondent for Puck, and Nayar Hawk, former State Department senior advisor and former senior director at the White House. Thank you all so much uh, for joining me this evening. Julia, I'll start with you. Uh, I, I guess after something like this happens, the immediate thought is, is there a warning that needs to go out to Americans? I mean, there's probably hundreds you know, of Americans, hundreds, thousands, who on a regular basis fly in and out of Russia for business. Does this mean that they should no longer do that? Does this mean that this is sort of a, a shot across the bow? What does this mean for sort of civilian American relations in and out of Russia? Well, that warning went out actually about a year ago. The State Department said that Americans should not travel to Russia because of fear of things like this. Because as you recall, around this time last year, things were heating up around Ukraine. Washington and Moscow were involved in pretty furious diplomacy or what uh, the Kremlin was trying to pretend was diplomacy to prevent the war that is now happening from happening. And once the war did break out, you know, unfortunately, Brittany Griner had the terrible fortune of getting arrested, stopped and arrested at the airport just two weeks before Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. And she was arrested when he already knew he was going to invade Ukraine. So he had this high value prisoner and hostage in his hands. But as soon as the war broke out, uh, I think it became clear that no American should go to Russia pretty much for anything. Nair, I'm, I'm curious about this because why Brittany Griner, right? There are high profile business people that go in and out of Moscow. There are high profile business people. There are entertainers who sometimes perform there. Why her? What was Vladimir Putin hoping to do in grabbing a WNBA player um, two weeks before an invasion? Yeah, well, she also has been going in and out of Russia for nearly 10 years, right. making nearly 10 times the amount of money there in the offseason than she's ever made as a star WNBA player. So she had reason to go there, but she also embodies 
almost everything that Putin rails against and tries to oppress is in, in his own country. Uh, he has effectively outlawed uh, gay and lesbian couples being open about their love. Uh, the idea of a black athlete challenging white supremacy, right? right? Uh, the cannabis consumption, also something that he has uh, harsh penalties in place for. So the opportunity, as he was planning to invade Ukraine, as the United States and European allies are standing up for democracy, to grab a star American who, in addition, has all of these identities that challenge Russian ideology and white supremacy, it really was too good for Putin to pass up. And, and so what, and I, and I know there's, there's a lot to this, I'm going to take this to Julie as well, then why now, right? Then, then if, 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 I mean, because none of those identities have changed, right? If part of it was the symbolic thing of, I'm going to take this black, queer, athletic woman and I'm going to hold her and I'm going to rub it in America's face, then why would Putin decide? I mean, I, I don't think he cares about getting her home for Christmas. So why now the end of this sort of conversation? Putin has not had, the war has not gone the way that Putin has wanted it to go. It was not in his intention supposed to last nine months. Right. Uh, in, in now heading into the winter months, President Biden made it clear that unless a discussion with Brittany Griner's release was on the table, he would not meet one-on-one -on -one with Putin. So there is an opportunity with uh, Russia being a bit on the back foot when it comes to the war uh, for there to be some concessions made. Now, with that said, uh, the United States over the summer had proposed a two-for-two two exchange to get Paul Whelan out as well. But unfortunately, Putin realized that he could, while he would release Brittany Geiner potentially as a loss to him, right. uh, losing a valuable asset, he could gain the opportunity to continue to divide America along racial lines. This conversation that we have had about a white veteran being left behind and a black woman, was it worth it? Right. To release a black woman, all of that chatter online is exactly the Soviet playbook that Putin has played, played against us in 2016, and is starting once again. Uh, Julia, you know, I'm, I'm curious about this. Most of us don't know the, the internal negotiations, right? Everything I know about hostage negotiation, I learned from like Samuel L. Jackson in a movie a couple years ago. But one thing to, to sort of go with Nayara's point is when you look up who this, this Victor Bout guy was, like he, he was like the merchant of death. Uh, that that Nick Cage movie Lord of War was based on him. Like, like this is a bad guy. This is a Bond villain. So what what were, to the degree that we can we can understand it on the outside, what were some of the negotiations that may have gone on that made this trade possible? Was it was it the only deal at the table? It was like either get this done or nothing. Um, how was this balance sort of calculated by the Biden administration? Well, from what we understand, this was basically the only thing the Russians would agree to that it's Victor Boot for Griner or nothing. And it is strange, you're right. It's a pretty bad look to be pushing this hard for the merchant of death. And all day, Russian state media has been trying to humanize him and trying to evoke sympathy by showing his crying wife and talking about how much he's aged and how much weight he's lost in prison. But it's still, it's a weird look. Uh, but you know, he is he's a former uh, Soviet intelligence officer. Putin has a soft spot for those. And again, it's a very lopsided trade and and it makes the Americans look bad. I mean, it has created this kind of political furor that we're seeing now. It is also an incomplete victory for the Biden administration because he only got one of two hostages home. And uh, and again, 
it's just again it it splits america down down the middle and it gives russia something to you know distract russians from the fact that russia is losing at home i will say by the way to the earlier point about why putin uh took britney griner we don't know we still don't know whether britney griner was targeted specifically or whether she was held up at the airport. And right. because what's, what is far more likely is that she was held up, her baggage was, was scanned, they found the drugs. And once they realized she was a foreigner, that, that's when they call in the FSB and they realized and they had the a high up, value target. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's when it really all kicked into gear. Julia Yaffe and Nayar Hawk, thank you all so much for starting off our show today. Up next on the readout, news breaking late today. The DOJ is reportedly asking a judge to hold the Trump team in contempt over their handling of the Mar-a-Lago classified documents. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Breaking news tonight from the investigation into former President Trump's trove of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. The Washington Post is reporting that the DOJ has asked a federal judge to hold Trump's office in contempt for failing to fully comply with a May subpoena to return all classified documents in his possession, according to people familiar with the matter. This comes after months of mounting frustrations from the Justice Department that spiked after Trump's lawyers provided assurances that a diligent search had been conducted for all the documents. But the FBI amassed evidence suggesting and later confirmed through a court-authorized search that many more documents remained. The judge has not yet held a hearing or ruled on the request, according to The Post. Joining me now to discuss is Charles Coleman, civil rights attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. Charles, I got to start with this. I get that the DOJ wants to bring charges against Trump's whole team as a staff label and a crew, right? I get it. I get it. I understand the anger. I understand the frustration. Here's my thing. Why has no one been arrested for this yet? Because it almost seems like it's a good faith act on the part of the DOJ DOJ to think that these people are just unaware as opposed to they're just lying. Like, why hasn't someone been arrested now? You have lied. Either you're lying intentionally or you're lying on behalf of the client. Tell me why this is a step in the right direction and not just more wasting of time that we've seen over the last four or five months. Well, first off, Jason, I will see your hit him up reference and raise you one wire reference and say <laughs> that when you come for the former king, you can't miss. And what I mean by that is they are making sure that they have taken every step to 
get as much information as they can before proceeding with an indictment and an invest uh, and, and, and a prosecution of not just Donald Trump, but as you so eloquently put, his staff, his label, and everyone else. I think that there are two very telling things about today's activity in court. The first of which is Jack Smith is not playing around. He is not Merrick Garland. He is not waiting. He is moving forward. And I think this notion of trying to find him in contempt is actually a significant indication of the fact that he is not going to allow the Trump team to continue to delay for months at a time in the ways that Merrick Garland's DOJ actually did. So there is something positive to be gleaned from that. The second thing that I find to be very interesting and almost comical is how we got here. We got here because Trump's own attorneys are not willing to attest to the fact that their client has done what his client was supposed to actually do. There is no one on Trump's legal team who is willing to step forward and be a custodian of documents and certify with their license on the line that what they are saying and attesting to is actually true. And that says a lot about the lack of confidence they have in their own client. So, Charles, I actually, I'm very curious about that, because when it comes to Trump's legal team, right, like if you've got, look, lawyers sometimes know they've got corrupt clients, right? Whether your lawyer is Jackie Childs or Proctor from Power, right? You know, you, you know when you're representing somebody who's a little shady from time to time. I, I, the more I'm seeing in this, is it clear that Trump's lawyers are as crooked as he is, or are they trying to avoid further conflict and, and, and further investigations, but he is simply lying to them. Where is the fault line in this? Is it, is it with the legal team or is it with Trump or both? I can't let you get away with another reference. I heard the power reference, so I've got to raise you another one on Kleinfeld from Carlito's Way by Sean Penn. And in that case, it actually is a follow reference in that you know your client is a mess and you cannot work it in a way you cannot work this case or risk your own actual embarrassment from a professional standpoint right. in terms of certifying something because here's the thing jason they know that if it comes down to trump or trump saying something you know listen i lied or i told my my attorney someone so forth when they're in front of not only the bar but a potential judge facing criminal charges they know Trump is going to throw them under the bus the same way right. he's thrown everyone else under the bus. So they're not willing to take that on and potentially risk an entire career over a client that they know is dishonest and untruthful, even with the people who he retains to represent him. So this is more of a Trump thing and more of a very difficult tightrope for anyone who at this point is left that is willing to take on the responsibility of representing Donald Trump in court. When we first heard about this, and I was, I was here this night, when we first heard about the raid at Mar-a-Lago, we heard about the documents, and some of them were sort of in a hallway, it may have been corners, it didn't seem like all of them were secured. And then over the last couple of months, we've gotten the impression that they may have been in Mar-a-Lago, they may be in other locations, they might be shifting around and around. How does the DOJ know how much has actually been recovered? And is there a possibility, not to suggest that Trump isn't corrupt and the people working with him aren't corrupt, but is it possible that they don't even know the entirety of what they have, and they can't locate it, which is one of the reasons why it hasn't been returned. Well, Jason, between the National Archives that have put out a list of things that they were looking for initially that led to the subpoena, ultimately, along with other documents, I have a belief that both things are true. I believe that there is more out there that they do not know is missing, but I also believe that there are some very specific things that they've been looking for that hasn't that, that have not shown up yet. So I think it's actually both. I think that they may believe that look, the universe of documents that have not been returned to us is 
somewhat amorphous in as much as we don't necessarily know how deep this rabbit hole goes. But I also think that they're very clear about certain specific documents that have not been returned, that nobody has accounted for, and no one has yet to say, look, we don't know. The third thing that I think has also played a role in this is that Donald Trump himself has kind of told himself in terms of the interviews he's given about this conversation. He at one point said, if I take the documents wherever I take them, So that suggests that he may have taken him to other places besides Mar-a-Lago. We know that he has properties all across the country. So that stands to reason that for someone who has this sort of logic, these documents could literally be anywhere. I cannot believe that we have a former twice impeached president running around with a knock list and someone has managed to get arrested in the last couple of months. Charles Coleman, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us tonight on The Readout. Still ahead, Congress approves a landmark marriage equality bill to ensure no American is punished or discriminated against because of who they love. But why was congressional action even needed? That's next tonight on The Readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. are 258, the nays are 169, present one. The motion is adopted. A historic day in the U.S. House, Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing the passage of the Respect for Marriage Act and one of her final acts as House Speaker. The bill guaranteeing federal protection of same-sex and interracial marriages was supported by all House Democrats and only 39 House Republicans. 169 Republicans chose the wrong side of history. The legislation requires nationwide recognition of legal marriages, guarantees full benefits, quote, regardless of the couple's sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin. It does not, however, require any individual state to issue same-sex marriage licenses. Several members of the LGBTQ Equality Caucus spoke passionately about why the legislation is urgently needed. I'm standing here today because in the year 2022, families like mine are once again concerned that an activist, out-of-step Supreme Court is going to take those rights away. It would be wrong to say that my husband Phil and I have a marriage that is any different than anyone else's marriage here in this body. This bill will pass today, but it is a reminder of the necessity of our vigilance in the fight for human rights and the need to hold the judicial branch accountable. Next year, I'll marry the love of my life, 
And it's unthinkable that if the Supreme Court heeds Justice Thomas's call, that our marriage might not be recognized in New Hampshire where we might be recognized in New Hampshire where we live, but not across the country. Republicans, on the other hand, argue that the bill is unnecessary. Despite Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's threat that the 2015 Obergefell versus Hodges decision legalizing same-sex marriage should be reconsidered. God's perfect design is indeed marriage between one man and one woman for life. And it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, that's what the Bible says. I'll tell you my priority. Protect religious liberty, protect people of faith, and protect Americans who believe in the true meaning of marriage. I hope and pray that my colleagues will find the courage to join me in opposing this misguided and this dangerous bill. It's a lot of tears. The bill now goes to President Biden for his signature, ensuring same-sex and interracial marriages will be protected from a Supreme Court challenge. After the break, we'll hear more about the insidious campaign to get the court, especially Justices Thomas and Alito, to do the work of the religious right. There was explosive testimony today on Capitol Hill from a former anti-abortion activist who said he oversaw an influence campaign targeting the conservative justices. It's coming up next on The Readout. Before reality television, Stan culture, even the Internet itself, there was Elizabeth Taylor. The actress who redefined 20th century fame and who remains, even after death, one of the most iconic women in the world. Her 56 films made her a star, as did her eight marriages to seven different men. It was on the set of Cleopatra, the gold pinnacle of Hollywood excess, where the legendary story of Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton began. Let's just say the world, but especially celebrity gossip, were never the same again. A new book delves into this phenomenal life, going far beyond the movies and those magnificent jewels, noting how Elizabeth devoted decades of her life to fighting HIV and AIDS, and that it was she who pressured President Ronald Reagan into making his first speech devoted exclusively to the AIDS pandemic in 1987, six years after the first cases were reported in the United States. Hollywood took note. Six years later, she received the Jean Hirschholt Humanitarian Award at the 65th Academy Awards for her work in the fight against AIDS. I accept this award in honor of all the men, women, and children with AIDS who are waging incredibly valiant battles for their lives, those to whom I have given my commitment. Joining me now is Kate Anderson Brower, author of the new book, Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon. Thank you so much for being here, Ms. Anderson Brower. And you know, because I, uh, my formative years were in the 1980s, those was my junior high and high school years, I remember this era very well. The fear about HIV and AIDS, the sort of paranoia about, you know, the idea, could you get it just from touching someone? Could you get it just from hugging someone or sharing milk, you know, your milk carton with someone at school, even for kids? was really kind of terrifying. 
And the president at the time, Ronald Reagan, was absolutely silent. Um, so talk a little bit about Elizabeth Taylor's activism there. I know. Uh, let me read you a little piece here. This is about from your book. Uh, it says most of the time this was about AIDS patients. Most of the time they would say the patients at hospice just needed someone to touch them. She decided to do unpublicized hospice visits so that she could hug patients and talk with them and make them feel human again. She wanted them to know that they were loved. Talk a little bit about her activism regarding HIV AIDS. Well, she was the first major celebrity activist to take on HIV and AIDS. And I think she was actually one of the first celebrity activists, period, to really devote her life to a cause, because the second half of her life was all about HIV and AIDS. And so she um, used her relationship with the Reagans. And I got this rare look into these private letters and diaries where she's writing to Nancy Reagan and pleading with her to uh, have the president speak about AIDS, because it was years. I mean, the first cases, you're talking about 1981, and he didn't talk about it publicly until 1987 at the Potomac Dinner in Washington. And at that dinner, he was booed um, because he, he didn't talk about AIDS patients in the empathetic way that people expected him to, that, he, that people wanted him to, to come out and, and, and be more sympathetic. And Elizabeth was very influential. She went to the White House, she went to the Oval Office, and she visited him because they were both Hollywood stars. And what I found in her diaries were just incredible moments of compassion. And as you said, these were unpublicized visits to hospices. So nobody saw her uh, hugging patients, asking them things like, you know, does their dog need to be walked, for instance? Do they want her to call their mother? I mean, incredibly sweet things. And she was for gay marriage decades before anybody was talking about it because she had so many gay men in her life. Yeah. You know, it's the thing about Elizabeth Taylor, it's kind of fascinating that she was a star in the era when stars were stars, right? There was no access to them on something like Twitter where people could talk back to them in sort of the real world. They were sort of really above, they were, they were just larger than life. And there were, there was a small percentage of Hollywood icons, the Frank Sinatra's, the Jackie Gleason's, the Marilyn Monroe's, you know, who used that mega stardom to really lean into what are pretty modern woke causes. You know, they leaned in on civil rights. There were a lot of iconic things that Marilyn Monroe and other people did in that era. She did that too. Elizabeth Taylor, this is some of her civil rights leaning in. She joined prominent civil rights activists at the National Association for NAACP's Freedom Freedom TV Spectacular. She contributed to the Black Panther Legal Defense Fund. She placed a full-page ad in the New York Times calling for gun control legislation. Talk about her use of really what was mega stardom for causes that were not sort of usual, sort of conservative-ish causes. I mean, she was the first real celebrity influencer, you know, and it's interesting because she was married to a Republican senator, John Warner, her sixth husband, uh, which is how I got into this book, because he put me in touch with her family. So, you know, she, as you said, brought up uh, gun control after Robert Kennedy was was killed. She took out a full page ad in The New York Times. And then again, I found this amazing letter with with Senator Warner after um, Ronald Reagan was shot. And he and 
And Warner said to her, you know, I don't think you should really get in front of this issue. You shouldn't take out another ad. And she said, uh, I'm doing it anyway. And that was one of the things, one of the many things that led to their divorce. You know, she stood up for people who didn't have a voice because, you know, throughout her life, I think she always felt like an outsider herself. She never went to high school uh, with other kids her own age. Um, she was kind of forced into her first marriage with Nikki Hilton, which was abusive. And by the time she was 26, she had been twice divorced and once widowed with three children. So she lived this rapid fire life of love and loss and tragedy. And she kept getting up again and again. She was a survivor, which is something that drew me to her because unlike Marilyn, she was 80 years old almost when she died. So she lived a full life, you know, and we got to see her as an older woman, which I think is important. An older woman and, and in many ways a feminist icon, right? That, that, yeah. that she was free to make herself unmarried, you know, at a time when that was like a thing you were not supposed to do. She did so many really incredible things besides just being a great actress and just an icon. Uh, Kate Anderson Brower, thank you for uh, being here. The author of Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon, uh, a great reader for your holiday season. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. I was just a little surprised we switched it up for you. Coming up, Congressman David Cicilline joins me to discuss a dramatic day on Capitol Hill. The readout right after this break. Back in November, the New York Times reported that several anti-choice activists had embarked on a sophisticated and targeted influence campaign with the goal of, quote, emboldening the justices to lay the legal groundwork for the reversal of Roe versus Wade. One of their top targets was Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. The campaign was orchestrated by Reverend Bob Rob Schneck, a former anti-abortion faith leader. He claims that his campaign bore fruit. He told the New York Times that Alito leaked the verdict of the 2014 Burwell versus Hobby Lolly case to religious activists. The case allowed privately held companies to object on religious grounds to a provision of the Obamacare law that requires employers to provide health insurance that includes contraception coverage. Reverend Schneck, who has recanted his anti-abortion views, said he was told of the outcome weeks before it was announced. Alito denied those allegations. Today, before the House Judiciary Committee, he laid out his extensive influence campaign, which included inviting some of the justices to meals, various vacation homes, and private clubs. The justices obliged. Operation Higher Court involved my recruitment of wealthy donors as stealth missionaries who befriended justices that shared our conservative social and religious sensibilities. Our overarching goals were to gain insights into the conservative justices' thinking and to shore up their resolve to render solid, unapologetic opinions, particularly against abortion. He went even further, claiming that Clarence Thomas, whose wife had launched her own influence campaign, the urge state electors to steal the 2020 election from Biden, encouraged his efforts. We were never admonished for the type of work our missionaries did. Quite to the contrary. In one instance, Justice Thomas commended me, saying something like, keep up what you're doing. It's making a difference. Insurrectionists stick together. The goal of the hearing was to discuss legislation that would reform the lack of ethical standards at the Supreme Court. 
The court has no transparent process for receiving or investigating allegations of ethical misconduct. But the Republicans had little interest in that. Joining me to discuss today's hearing, as well as today's historic vote to protect same-sex marriage, is Congressman David Cicilline of Rhode Island, a member of the House Judiciary Committee and chairman of the House LGBTQ Plus Equality Caucus. Thank you, Congressman, for joining us this evening. I'll start with just the vote. Um, you know, marriage equality is a huge issue. It is a huge issue for moral reasons. It is a huge issue for policy reasons. It is a huge uh, you know, issue for, for ethics reasons. Why was this so important for the House to pass now before the spring, before January, when it's taken over by the Republicans? Well, you know, the uh, Supreme Court in reversing Roe versus Wade in the Dobbs decision made it clear that, at least according to Justice Thomas, they're coming for marriage equality next. He raised it very specifically. He raised the Obervelt case. And so what we wanted to be certain is that the law of the land remains that we have marriage equality, that every American will have access to marriage. And so the legislation we passed today will ensure that anyone who is married in any state uh, that that marriage, as long as it's lawfully performed, must be recognized in every other state. But the LGBTQ community has come under attack uh, very significantly over the last several years. And the Supreme Court is working hard to take away freedoms and take away rights. And we wanted to be sure that we protect marriage equality for, for all members of the community so that every American has full access to marriage. We did that today in a strong bipartisan vote. The president's going to sign it, and it's a good day. Representative, you, you talk about Supreme Court justices and their sort of activism. Um, you know, there was some amazing testimony today about influences on Supreme Court justices. We don't always have to agree with how justices come to decisions. I can point out that Clarence Thomas benefited from affirmative action and he dislikes it. Clarence Thomas has an interracial marriage and yet has basically hinted to the fact that he would be willing to, to make uh, gay marriage and, and interracial marriages illegal. How dangerous is it? to think that our Supreme Court is completely compromised after today's testimony? Is it, is it even a legitimate branch of the government anymore if even 80% of what we heard today in testimony is the standard operating procedures for many justices? Yeah, I mean, what we heard today was, was really shocking. This was a very sophisticated and well-financed campaign to influence the court to become more conservative, to fortify their extreme positions. Uh, it was really shocking to hear the testimony. And look, it's one of the reasons why we have to pass legislation that will, in fact, enact a code of ethics or direct the court uh, to enact a code of ethics, uh, make clear their recusal requirements, and make sure that we have disclosure for any gifts or other things that the court uh, justice has received. Uh, every other federal judge, every member of Congress is required to go through a lot of disclosures or governed by a code of ethics. It's only the Supreme Court of the United States that is exempt from that. That simply can't stand. And as a result, we're seeing the court at, at kind of its lowest it's ever been in terms of public confidence. The court relies on the confidence of the American people to do its work. So this is something we have to address. The court should want to address it. But what we heard today I think shows why this is urgent and why we have to insist that the Supreme Court of the United States operate under some well-established rules of conduct, ethics, and be held accountable if they violate those rules. I'll be honest with you. Most of what I know about the Supreme Court, I learned last summer reading the book While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams, right? Like I, I learned how difficult it is to actually remove a justice. How would, just in, in simple layman's terms, 
How would ethics legislation work? Because even if these justices came forward, even if Clarence Thomas said, yes, I discussed with my wife how to engage in an insurrection, even if Samuel Alito says, in addition to making racist jokes during testimony, uh, you know, I, I take drinks with influencers, et cetera, et cetera. What would be the enforcement mechanism? I mean, if we just slap well, them on the hand, they'll continue doing the same thing. Well, I mean, hopefully, if you have a code of ethics that requires disclosure or requires recusal or, or prevents justices from receiving free trips or free dinners, um, they will follow the, the code of ethics that they adopt. If they don't, then there are mechanisms to remove justices who violate the code of ethics. And that happens all the time at district court levels and courts of appeals. Uh, you'd have to impeach a justice of the Supreme Court. But at the very least, they ought to establish rules of conduct, make it clear that the judgments they are making are based on the law and the evidence, the arguments made before them and the president, and not in the influence of other parties who are whining and dining them or inviting them to vacation homes or taking them out to dinner. Um, that That is very corrosive. And we've seen a number of events recently that really raised questions about the integrity of the court. One of the ways we can repair that, and you would hope the justices would want to repair it, is for them to support legislation that will require them to develop a code of ethics to adopt that, to make it public, and then to follow it, and then to recuse themselves when appropriate, and also to disclose gifts they receive from parties that might have some interest or organizations that are, have a particular viewpoint and are lobbying them. I mean, the Supreme Court is not supposed to be lobbied by anyone. Right. They're right. supposed to make decisions based on the law and the evidence and the arguments of counsel and the briefs submitted to the court. I hope that's the case. If those rules were applied retroactively, I don't even think we would ever would have gotten Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, Congressman David Cicilline, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much. That's tonight's readout. Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.